My guest today on Mission Impact is Cindy Wagner. Mission Impact is the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your podcast host and nonprofit strategic planning consultant. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board members, and volunteers. All of this for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. Cindy and I talk about how our social norms about not talking about money make it hard for folks who want to do fundraising and adds to that reluctance that they have. Some of the common things that get in the way of success for new fundraisers and how to start building your fundraising muscles. Well, welcome, Cindy. Welcome to Mission Impact. Thanks so much for having me. I'd like to start each conversation with um, a question around what drew you to the work that you do? What motivates you and what would you describe as your why? Oh my goodness. I feel like that is a question that goes, its answer starts so many years ago. Uh, I've always been involved in the nonprofit sector. I volunteered when I was in high school. When I was in university, I ran the Women's Empowerment Committee and raised money for local women's organizations. Uh, it's always been what I would say defines my experiences. So my universe, when I look back at university, it wasn't the academics, it was my community involvement. So it's always just been in my blood. And I actually am one of the few people who, when they, I was in university and I said, I want to be a fundraiser. Most people fall into it, but I knew, and I have really, my only professional job has been a fundraiser until I started consulting. And now I help other fundraisers. So what was it that made you decide I want to be a fundraiser? So it's funny. Finally, I met two people who were professional fundraisers in the mm -hmm. same summer. I never knew that that was an option. Growing up, it wasn't something we talked about. Uh, when you talk about what do you, what do you want to do when you're older? So uh, I was working and there was a regular, I, I worked in a cafe slash home decor store and there was a woman who was a regular Jan is her name. And she came in and we would always chat and she was a fundraiser. And at the same time, I started dating someone who is now my husband and his aunt was a professional fundraiser. So that same summer kind of just like hit me in the face, um, which is kind of cool. That, that is, I would say, definitely unusual. Yeah. I'm trying to even think what would have been my first connection to I did work in one of my work study jobs at college was working in the development office or the advancement office yeah. I remember what they called them. Yeah. I think I, I filed donor reports. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's back to the, you know, paper, paper and files. Oh, I remember I that. <laughs> so I did a lot of alphabetizing. <laughs> oh God. I don't think I learned a lot more about, um, fundraising, but, uh, while I was doing it, except of course that uh, keeping track of who your donors are was important. Um, mm -hmm. I remember when we used to have to call, dial in the monthly donations and press the credit card information with the keypad on your phone, on your landline. 
<laughs> to process all the monthly gifts. Uh, yeah. So I've been, I've been doing this a while, but it's kind of cool. I have to say like one thing, as I look at my, uh, story and how I came to this work, um, it makes me very happy to see my own kids think about what do they want to do when they're older? And aside from like be a world famous soccer player, you know, my one son is very much, uh, he's like, I want to, I want to run a food bank or I want to do, you know, he's already thinking about, uh, charitable work, which is pretty cool. That, that is awesome. Yeah. My, my daughter, um, after doing a, a, a gap year where she did AmeriCorps and did a city year, she ended up, um, in the nonprofit sector and, and now is just uh, moving over to the philanthropy side in terms of, um, giving away the money instead of mm -hmm. raising the money, but yeah. So, so you work with small nonprofits on their fundraising um, and most people don't decide right when they're in college to become a fundraiser <laughs> yeah. or, or even when they when they start an organization or they join an organization um they may not you know put their hand up or maybe they don't move back fast enough <laughs> exactly um why would you say it's so hard for people you know to to do fundraising yeah, so this is a huge problem in our sector uh, because, yeah, most people don't want to fundraise. And it's not just in our sector. I always tell the story, like, and actually my husband tells the story because I didn't remember it as well as he does. But we were at a wedding, a friend's wedding, and uh, we were just chatting with people and, you know, talking about, oh, what do you do? And when I said the word fundraiser, it's like people had a physical reaction and like the, it shut down the conversation and so we have these pervasive stories about fundraising and money both in society in general right like you like conversation does not include talking about money and so that <laughs> makes our jobs a lot harder but then in our sector we have these this sense of um you know, money is taboo or um, even, I mean, there's so many different stories around, uh, you know, this work, we don't do this work. It's not about the money. Uh, we should be, I hear a lot of people saying we should be volunteering our time. I've actually had people ask me, oh, so you're a volunteer, like you volunteer. Um, so all of that adds up. And I think increasingly, we have these stories about what philanthropy looks like, which generally is becoming in the public eye, a sense of really big donations, millions, multi-millions, hundreds of millions of dollars donated. And so I think it means that for you and I and the rest of like normal people, there's a further gap between what how we see ourselves and our contributions as philanthropists or how we see our generosity and our commitments to our community. And so I, when I introduced myself as a fundraiser, aside from people just not wanting to talk to me, uh, they don't understand what it is I do. They don't see it as relating to their lives. They say, oh, you're just going to ask me for money. Or they ask if I'm an event planner, <laughs> which I'm not. Um, so yeah, it's vastly misunderstood and our brains, uh, we as we 
you know, grow into the people that we are, our brains develop shortcuts and patterns that keep us safe and familiar. Um, and what that means is often our, like if we have these stories about fundraising being bad, our brain is going to tell us, you don't want to do that. And so we don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yet if we really want to have functional organizations, uh, somebody's going to have to bring in some revenue. So what, what, what do you, what would you say helps people kind of move beyond their reluctance or kind of move beyond some of those stories? Absolutely. So I would say that meeting donors is a big one. Very often we project our own feelings and beliefs onto other people. So we think things, stories like, you know, our donors are so fatigued. Um, so we project onto other people, our feelings and beliefs about fundraising that we just talked about how we develop those. And so we don't want, we see, we write the stories for donors before we get to know them. And so getting to know your donors, meeting people, understand, and when I say have a donor meeting, most people think ask for money, but I just mean like get to know your supporters, individuals, corporations, foundations. Why do they care about the work that you're doing? That is actually the number one thing I recommend because as we get to know our supporters, we actually get to see that they're much more like us than we think. And they're not these like multimillionaires out there in the world that everyday people care about what we do. They want us to be successful in our mission and they're willing to contribute. And that starts to change those stories we have in our brains about fundraising and its utility in the work that we do. Yeah, and I like that point that you made about, um, you know, people we read in the news about these big gifts and I'm blanking on the expectation of Jeff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Mackenzie Scott. Mackenzie Scott, Scott, right. So you also, we read about her gifts, right? And we think, well, we can't do that. So what's the point? Exactly, exactly. And well, we what think- do you say to people around around that story? I mean, listen, Mackenzie Scott is doing some really cool things around Absolutely. philanthropy and uh, power to her, but um, that's not the lifeblood of organizations. And when I present to a board of directors or when I used to work with within organizations, like the number one thing I would hear people say is, we don't know anyone who can give. And because we're thinking, I don't know anyone like Mackenzie Scott, or I think, uh, I think Harvard, like as of today, just got a huge gift, like massive, they renamed a school after this donor. But it's like, of course, we don't know people like that. I don't know people like that. But most of the generosity that I see in organizations comes from people who are already known to the organization. Um I've had donors who give $250 a year, eventually give $250,000 or who give 10,000 who end up giving 100,000, right? Now, those are big dollars for small organizations. Um, we think we don't know these people, but chances are we do. And even if 
someone doesn't have the capacity. I mean, I can, I can get on a soapbox and talk about just because someone doesn't even have the capacity to give a hundred dollars, let alone a hundred thousand dollars, their gift is still really important to organizations. And I, I actually wrote a thesis on this 20 years ago, uh, talking about the value of, um, engaging your community in giving uh, so that they have ownership over the work that you do and you're accountable to them. And so often I see organizations make decisions on behalf of the communities that they serve, which I think is an incredibly disempowering uh, act. So yeah, every dollar I think is important. And uh, I think the act of giving is a very meaningful one for all of us to engage in to build the world that we want to that we want to live in right right so what are some steps that would you would you say that people can can take to kind of move through i mean i, I had said move beyond but i'm like well actually maybe it's you just need to move through some of the stories or yeah. that projection that you're doing on you know all yeah. the fears that i have about asking someone for money onto the donor and you know why they're yeah. there yeah what are some so steps to started there's a couple things i mean the first thing is awareness um and like if you if anyone's ever seen a therapist or got worked with a coach like you have to be self-aware you have to do the work and understand because all of our stories are individual to us they're they come from the houses that we grew up in or the environments that we grew up in and our experiences and the people around us and how their influence on us. So we have to kind of understand our own origin story. And that usually like you can do it on your own, but sometimes it's helpful to have some help with that. Um, so understand what your origin story is. And then you can start to see these false narratives. Uh, and then, as I said, the my favorite way to reverse those narratives is to meet with your donors, get to know them. And that process can be really simple. So often people get caught up in, who do I meet with? How do I reach out to them? How do I have a conversation? And in reality, it's actually so, so simple. So who to reach out to? Who is the least intimidating for you? What is the path of least resistance? These meetings are like having these meetings are like a muscle. The more you do it, the easier it becomes. So if it's easy, I literally have worked with organizations who said, oh, well, my aunt made a donation last year. I'm going to start with her. Great. Monthly donors, you know, board members, whoever. I just want you to start and get in the habit and reach out. And my biggest advice around this is, Tell donors what your intentions are and follow through. So tell them what to expect and then deliver on that experience. So for example, you're going to tell them, you know what, we're, I'm trying to get to know our donors. I really want to understand why you support our work. And I want to hear from you about why this is important to you. And you have a meeting and you ask questions that align with that purpose. And if you're ever in a position, this is a tangent, but if you're ever in a position to ask someone for a donation face-to-face -face or at a meeting, you are going to tell them when you book the meeting, I would love to talk to you about a contribution or can we meet to talk about a, a donation? So that again, you are telling them what to expect 
and then they are following through. So that's the side. But for this, the purpose of this, you're not even asking for money. You're just saying, I want to get to know you. Will everyone say yes to a meeting? No. Is that okay? Absolutely. Find the people who are going to say yes and then have a conversation. The best fundraisers are curious. So you can have a couple like starter questions or spark questions, I call them. That's kind of like, oh, tell me about how you first learned about this work, uh, better work, or, you know, tell me about why this work is important to you. And then just listen and have a real conversation. And that's it. It is that simple. The magic is when you do it over and over and over again, and you get to know your donors you get to know them once, but then you can reach out and say, oh, it's been a few months since we last spoke. I'd love to catch up. And you start to build those relationships. And again, I'm not just talking about major donors. I'm talking, you know, all your donors. Obviously, you might not be in a position to meet with them always, all the time, but you want to have a good sense of where your champions are, who's really passionate, and give everyone in your donor base the opportunity to deep, more deeply engage with you, with you and your organization um, by just inviting them that first time. When you said start with someone that's like the least intimidating, it makes me think back to when I started this podcast mm -hmm. and that's exactly what I did because, you know, it felt like a big thing to do. I mean, now, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be, we'll be in 70 something uh, episodes but yeah, I thought of like, who are five people that have no, I have no anxiety about having a conversation with. And even then that very first one, I was, I was so nervous before <laughs> the conversation. So it's so true about like, start, make it, make the stakes low and then start building that muscle, that habit, that, um, you know, that practice. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And, and you, you also talked about, um, setting expectations and, you know, that you would have actually told someone when you get to the point where you're asking them for money, you've give you've let them know. So it, they're not yeah. being sideswiped. They're not being surprised. Those yeah. people at the wedding, you can tell, tell them calm down <laughs> because worry. my practice is that I would have told you. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I was going to ask you for money. Exactly. So, yeah, so it kind of brings, everybody knows what, what the purpose is. Yeah. I have a friend, his name's Kip. Uh, and I met him actually through work. Just he supports a number of organizations that I have been involved with over the years. And uh, every now and then we'll go for lunch and he'll say, okay, this organization just asked me for a coffee. What does it mean? And it gives him as a donor of like, decent means I would say he's definitely not like uh you know off the charts but he he gives substantially to organizations and it actually causes him anxiety when he's like what are they going to ask me for and he tries to decipher and like decode all of the stuff and like is this is, what what do I expect and he wants to be prepared um and so I, I'm such a fan of transparency and letting people know. And by the time, like if, if you say to someone, and again, most people don't actually ask face-to-face -face, uh, in small organizations. It's actually not a dominant fundraising strategy. But if you are doing major gifts or face-to-face -face asking, um, and, they, and you say, I'd like to talk to you about a contribution, and they say yes to the meeting, 
they're not likely to say no to a gift. It's really then a question of like how much and what's meaningful. And so um, that I just, I think it's so critical to build that trust with your donors um, and to really have them feel like they're part of a community uh, and that you trust and respect them uh, in the way that you also, you are asking them to trust and respect you. Right. Cause he's anticipating kind of being, you know, being invited for coffee, but then. Yeah. But like, um, can you give to us this year? And like, sometimes the answer is no. And uh, honestly, like he, I mean, the one thing I'll say, getting to know your donors is like, he feels bad when he has to say no or when his you know and and no one's gonna give away all their wealth even Mackenzie Scott is sitting like she's not going to her lifestyle is not going to suffer because of her philanthropy right so everyone is gonna give and they're gonna not everyone gives but who who the people who are giving are giving in a way that's meaningful and they want to, and it makes them feel good, but also they do have a limit. And uh, if you're putting them in a position where they have to, where you haven't prepped them for the ask, um, it actually makes the giving experience feel bad. And that's not what we want. We want them to feel good about, about these conversations. And I feel like that kind of bait and switch is actually what people think of. It's one of those stories oh, yeah. that people think of when they're like, "Ooh, I don't want to do that." It's manipulative. No, they don't yeah. want to. They don't want to manipulate people, or they yeah. want to pretend that they're wanting one thing when actually they're gonna. Oh, by the way, exactly. It's yeah. like buying a car. You know that, like, oh, and there's so many memes and like comedy about this, but you know, I hate, hate, hate buying a car. Because you go in, then there's the list price, and then you talk to someone, and then they negotiate it down. And then if you're still, then they bring in their manager to negotiate it down. Like, come on. It, it is, it feels icky. And I walk out of there and I think, you don't respect me. And this is a game. And I don't, none of us want to feel that way when it comes to our generosity. So yeah. And I will say like fairly, this is a experience that our sector has reinforced, right? There are a lot of fundraisers who still do it that way. And so there's a stereotype, but we can be part of the change to make it a different experience for people. What would you say helps people move from being reluctant about fundraising to being more confident in, in that role? Well, I think that getting a better understanding of what fundraising actually is. So as we sit here talking about these like one-to-one -one asks, that is not how most organizations fundraise. It's through appeals. It's through uh, grant writing. It's through, sometimes it's through events. Um, you know, maybe there's some small events or fundraising. So um, get to know your donors and get to understand how they give. Like, what are also the vehicles? What do they respond to? I'm telling you, most people are going to respond to an appeal, uh, whether it's emailed or mailed or what have you. So um, know your donors, understand what fundraising is and isn't. Um, and the more you 
do these things, the more you start to see that, again, we're kind of all on this journey together to make the world a better place. And if we can be on the same team with that, fundraising is going to feel a lot better for both the fundraiser and the donor. You mentioned the, you know, fundraising isn't this, that, or the other. What are some of the misconceptions or what are some of the, like, well, fundraising is not X that yeah. most people believe it is. Okay. So the big ones I get all the time, all the time, especially from boards. Uh, one is like, we just need to go ask the companies for money. In Canada, it's the big banks or whoever, like we need to ask the big companies to give us money. And I think that the idea behind that is very much, they're not going to miss the money. They have it. And so, and it's a corporation, so I don't have to ask someone and it feels, so there is this idea that like the, the companies are just sitting there on loads of cash waiting to give it to our, our organization. If only we ask, um, that's generally not true. Most giving comes from individuals uh, most you know funding for for nonprofits and charities comes from individuals uh so that's one big misconception and i'm not saying that you don't need like don't ask companies for money but i uh, understanding how they give and understanding the different vehicles in which they give allows you to be more successful and find out what type of corporate giving aligns with your organization um Another, as I said before, events, like people think I'm an event planner. I get that a lot. Um, events are like the least profitable way to raise money. Uh, they have the highest uh, cost associated with them. Um, I have certainly run events in the past, but it, that's generally not how most organizations, again, are, are raising money. So um, but like within individual giving, there's so many different ways within corporate there's so many different ways even with events like a big gala is not necessarily like I, I my favorite events are small events where there's like 15 20 people um and I've done a ton of those so it's just so much broader and the best fundraising again comes from understanding your donors and how do they want what does a relationship with your organization look like and also you have to balance that with what's meaningful for your organization and mission obviously those two should be aligned. Otherwise, you're not really on the same journey, right? So you right, want to make right. sure your donors are on that same journey and that there's alignment. And then it's a lot easier to, to find out what fundraising makes sense for your organization. We'll be back after this quick break. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. You can download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at greatsocialsector.com slash resources. And we're back. So at the end of ep each episode, I ask, I have a couple um, random icebreaker questions here. Um, so, What would you say is one of the best gifts you've ever received? Oh my goodness. I'm a notoriously hard person to buy gifts for. <laughs> I know. I actually know. Okay. I, um, so 
I am a notoriously hard person to buy gifts for because I usually, if I want something, I'll buy it for myself. Um, and I'm very particular in my style and what I like. But a couple years ago, actually, I think it was in 2020. It was my birthday, a milestone birthday. And uh, my team at work actually got together. It was during COVID. Um, and they got together and they sent me this gift, which was like so bang on like it I felt so seen and understood and so it was a, just like a, a sweatshirt like a concert sweatshirt from a band called Veruca Salt <laughs> if anyone from like knows in the uh, mid 90s um I happen to like a lot of like mid 90s uh female singer songwriters and like not riot girl but like girl rock stuff um and then they also had custom designed, it's so funny, but the custom designed press on nails that were like in my brand colors. Cause I like, I, this was, I was doing my nails at home a lot cause everything was closed and I'm in Toronto uh, and we were shut down for a very, very long time. So I was like doing my own nails and all this kind of stuff and playing around with that. And they know I love branding and like everything being on brand. So that was the best gift I've ever received. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I will definitely have to look up uh, Veruca Salt, Veruca Salt, and and play a little bit uh, this afternoon. Um, so, what what are you excited about? What's what's uh, up for you? What's kind of like emerging in your work these days? Yeah. So um, our network is growing. So for the last number of years, we've been offering a service called fractional fundraising, which is kind of like done for you long-term long-term fundraising with someone very experienced but only you get a fraction of their time uh and this has been working really well with small organizations and so we're growing that network uh they're not staff of mine they're independent consultants but i teach them how to consult i teach them how to build their business and i teach them how to deliver this kind of service um and I feel like this is an idea whose time has come we've tested it there's demand small organizations need help and quite frankly like hiring inexperienced staff usually adds to their frustration and not relieves it and so getting them access to experienced fundraisers who understand strategy and like to implement and do it at an affordable cost. And like, to me, it just, it's a win-win all around and it feels really good. So this is what I am super excited about um, and is a big focus of mine right now. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, uh, it's clearly important to come put together the plan, the plan and the strategy, but if you don't have the staff to implement it, yeah. um, then, you know, that yeah. was, it was nice, but not great. Yeah. Exactly. So. Awesome. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciated what Cindy said about getting in your reps and building your fundraising muscles, starting small, thinking about who's the easiest person for you to reach out to when you're getting started with fundraising, who can you reach out to who already supports your organization to further cultivate the relationship? That principle of starting small and working upward and outwards applies to so many things when you're developing a new skill. It's why I love Duolingo. I have been learning Spanish very slowly over the past year, and the Duolingo app has that very principle built in. Each lesson takes about three to five minutes to complete, 
and I just have to do one lesson a day to keep my streak, and I'm up past 400 days now. Plus, they build in all sorts of virtual gold stars and prizes in the process. And really, they don't mean anything, and yet, somehow, they keep me moving. So how can you celebrate your small successes along the way? Thank you for listening to this episode. I really appreciate the time you spend with me and my guests. You can find out how to connect with Cindy Wagman, her bio, the full transcript of our conversation, as well as any links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. And I want to thank Isabel Strauss-Riggs for her support in editing and production, as well as Cindy Rivera-Grazer from 100 Ninjas for her production support. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on your favorite social media platform and tag us. We appreciate you helping us get the word out. And until next time, thank you for everything you do to contribute and make an impact.